Chapter 24 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Frederick Lederhouse. Translated by Hotlob Frederick Kotel. Luther dies and Melanchthon mourns. Melanchthon saw him, his dearly beloved father, for the last time on the 23rd of January, 1546, on which day Luther with his three sons departed for Ausleben, there to assist in settling the difficulties between the Counts of Mansfield. It is not a part of our design to describe the particulars of Luther's journey, his labours in Ausleben, his short illness and his blessed death. Melanchthon wrote to Jonas, and doubtless sent the letter along with him, that the angel of the covenant might accompany the doctor and assist him in his efforts to restore a lasting and beneficial harmony between the counts of Mansfield, and adds that he was prevented from accompanying him by indisposition. He was at that time suffering from constipation, which he attributed to the stone. On the 31st of January, he wrote to Luther himself that his wife had been greatly troubled about him and the boys because they had heard that the river sail was very much swollen. Now we pray, he adds, the everlasting God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would bring you all back again in health when you have been successful in restoring harmony among the counts of Mansfield. By God's grace we are here in the enjoyment of peace. God grant that it may last for a long time. He received the most hearty greetings from Ausleben. On the 18th of February, on which day Luther had already made his happy departure from this world, Melanchthon yet wrote to him, We will here present the beginning of this letter to the venerable man, Dr. Martin Luther, distinguished by learning, virtue and wisdom, the restorer of the true doctrine of the gospel, his dearest father. Revered doctor and dearest father, I thank you that you have written to me so often and kindly, and we now pray God, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would lead you all safely home. This prayer was not to be heard, or rather it was to be heard in a far higher sense. On the following day, February 19th, he already received the sad tidings of the departure of his dear father from Jonas. At nine o'clock he was to lecture on the epistles to the Romans, but his sorrow would not permit him to do so, and he said to the assembled students, Beloved pious young men, you know that I propose to explain to you the epistle to the Romans, according to the simple and natural meaning of the words, because in this is contained the true doctrine of the Son of God, which God in special mercy has also revealed to us in this our day through our venerable father and dear teacher, Dr. Martin Luther. But I have this day received so sad a letter, which troubles and afflicts and discourages me so much, that I doubt whether I shall be able in future to discharge the duties of my office in a university. What this is I will now relate to you, especially as other persons have also advised me to do so, especially that you may know how it came to pass so that you may not relate it differently from what is true, or may not believe other persons who may circulate false reports 
regard to the matter, as is generally the case. On Wednesday, February 7th, shortly before supper, Dr. Martinez was attacked by his usual affection, a pain in the pit of the stomach, with which he was several times afflicted here. This returned after supper, and as it did not cease, he went into his chamber and laid himself down for about two hours, until the pains had become much worse. He then called Dr. Jonas, who slept in the same room, and asked him to request Ambrosius, the tutor of his sons, to make a fire in the room. He then went in, and was soon surrounded by Count Mansfield and his lady, and many others whose names on account of haste are not mentioned in this letter. On the morning of February 18th, before four o'clock in the morning, he commended himself to God in this prayer. My dear Heavenly Father, eternal merciful God, Thou hast revealed unto me Thy beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Him hath I taught and confessed. Him I love and honour as my dear Saviour and Redeemer, whom the wicked persecute, despise and revile. Take my soul to Thyself. He then thrice repeated the words, Into thy hand I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O God of truth. And then said, God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This prayer he repeated several times, and was thus taken by God into the everlasting school, an eternal joy, where he is now enjoying fellowship with God the Father, Son and Holy Ghost, together with all prophets and apostles. Alas, the chariot of Israel is gone, which ruled the church in this last age of the world, for assuredly this doctrine of forgiveness of sin and of faith in the Son of God was not invented by the wisdom of man, but was revealed by God through this man, as ourselves have also seen that he was awakened by God. Therefore, let us willingly remember him, and love the doctrine which he proclaimed. Let us also live more discreetly and moderately, and consider what great troubles and changes will follow the departure of this man. I beseech thee, O Son of God and Emmanuel, who was crucified for us and is rise again, to rule and protect thy church. Amen. Thus Melanchthon spoke and prayed with tears, with a troubled heart. His hearers were so deeply affected that it seemed, as Selneca says, as if the very walls were weeping, for all manifested their sorrow by sobbing aloud. On the 19th of February, he inquired of Jonas on what day they should arrive in Wittenberg with the corpse. In this letter he also expresses his great sorrow on account of the death of this beloved man. We are greatly troubled at the loss of such a teacher and leader, not only on account of the university, but also because of the church universal of the whole world, which he led by his counsels, doctrine, reputation and the power of the Holy Ghost. Especially are we troubled when we think of the dangers and storms which will come, since he has been called away from his post. But let us call upon our Lord Jesus Christ, who has said, I will not leave you comfortless, that he may continue to guide and preserve his church. And let us thank him for the benefits he has conferred upon us through Dr. Luther. And let us hold Luther in grateful remembrance.
On the same day he also informed Amsdorf of this calamity, and concluded thus, Although I have no doubt that many worthy persons everywhere will grieve most sincerely, I yet know that your grief will be still greater, because he had no older and dearer friend than you, and you loved him as a father. You have therefore a great personal reason for your sorrow, but to this must also be added public reasons, for after his death we seem to be threatened by many other evils. But I pray and conjure you, for God's sake, that you would encourage yourself with the divine consolations afforded us in the Gospel, and that you would remember us and the Church. About noon on the 22nd of February, Luther's remains arrived at the Auster Kate of Wittenberg. Amidst the ringing of all the bells and the escort of a vast, deeply moved multitude, was solemnly conveyed to the electoral church, where the elector had assigned him a resting place. Melanchthon also walked into procession, and after Bugenhagen had, with many tears, preached an affecting funeral sermon, Melanchthon also ascended the pulpit and delivered a Latin address, the substance of which we propose to relate. Although my own great sorrow almost forbids me to speak in this great sorrow of all pious hearts, of the Church of Christ, yet as I am to say something to this Christian assembly, I will not, after the manner of the heathen, merely praise the departed one, but would rather remind the honourable assembly of the great, wonderful and divine guidance of the Church, of the many dangers with which it must always contend, in order that Christians might learn so much better what should grieve them most, what they should seek and ask of God more than anything else. Thus he commenced, and then spoke of the office which Luther had filled in the Church. He mentions particularly what he had done in respect to doctrine, how he had taught true repentance, justification by faith alone, the difference between the law and the gospel, and true good works, how he had translated the Holy Scriptures in such a clear and plain manner into the German language, and had also written other useful books. Therefore, there can be no doubt but that pious Christian hearts will forever continue to praise and glorify the divine blessings which is given to his church by the hands of this Dr. Luther. They will first of all praise and thank God for it, but after that also confess that they have been greatly benefited by the faithful labours of this worthy man in his writings and preaching, and that they owe him thanks for all this. He now speaks of it that many reproach Dr. Luther on account of being too severe and rough in his writings. He would reply to this in the words of Erasmus, God has also given a severe and rough physician to the world, which in this latter time has been filled with grievous plagues and defects, but he is truly blamed too much. He always faithfully and diligently defended the true faith, and always maintained a good, sincere and undefiled conscience. Every one who knew him well, and had much intercourse with him, must confess that he was a very kind-hearted man, and when among others was always friendly, amiable and gracious in his conversation, and by no means insolent, stormy, obstinate or quarrelsome, and yet withal there was an earnestness and bravery in his words, 
and gestures, which should be found in such a man. In short, he had a heart, faithful and without guile, words gracious and friendly, and as St. Paul requires of the Christian, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Therefore it is evident that the severity which he manifested in his writings against the enemies of the pure doctrine did not proceed from a quarrelsome or wicked spirit, but rather from his great earnestness and zeal for the truth. This testimony must be given by us and many pious persons who saw and knew him intimately. He then proceeds to say, No unchaste act or any other vice was ever discovered in him. No word leading to tumult or rebellion was ever heard from his lips. But he always exhorted men to reconciliation and peace. He never mingled other things with matters of religion. He never made use of any intrigues to strengthen his own power or that of his friends. I myself have often heard him pray with many tears for the whole church he daily took time to repeat a few psalms with which he mingled his prayers to God, with sighs and tears, and often in his daily conversation expressed his displeasure against those who, because of their indolence or business, pretend that it is sufficient to call upon God with a brief ejaculation. We have likewise frequently seen, when great and important debates in regard to sudden and dangerous emergencies arose, that he always exhibited great courage and manliness, for he was not easily terrified, and did not lose confidence on account of threats, or dangers, or terror. For he trusted to this sure foundation, as upon an immovable rock, even upon the help and support of God, and permitted nothing to take this faith and confidence on his heart. Besides this, he possessed so great and keen an understanding, that he could tell before all others what should be advised and done in intricate, dark and difficult affairs and disputes, that so worthy a man, gifted with such a mind of sound learning, and tried and experienced by long practice, gifted with many lofty, Christian and peculiar virtues, chosen by God to raise up the church, one too who loved us with all his heart as a father, that such a man should have been called away, has departed from this life, and from our midst and association, even from the foremost place of all, is surely enough to call forth our sorrow and distress. For we are now like poor, wretched, forsaken orphans, who have lost an affectionate and excellent father. However, as we ought to obey God and resign ourselves to his will, we should for ever cherish the memory of this our beloved father, and never suffer it to be effaced from our hearts. The speaker then proceeded to describe the pleasant lot which had fallen to the sainted one in heaven, after having found that for which he had wished for a long time. You ought not to doubt that this, our dear father, Dr. Luther, is present with God and external happiness. It is God's will that we should always remember his virtues and the blessings bestowed upon us through him we should faithfully discharge this debt of gratitude toward him, and should acknowledge that he was a precious, noble, useful and blessed instrument in God's hands, and we should study his doctrine diligently and preserve it faithfully.
we should also regard his virtues as an example to be imitated by us, such as his piety, faith, earnest and fervent prayer, fidelity and diligence in office, chastity and modesty, prudence, anxiety to avoid everything which might cause tumults and other offences, and a constant pleasure and desire to learn more and more. Thus Melanchthon spoke of a soulful heart. He felt more than all how much he had lost in Luther, who might well be compared to the sturdy oak against which this timid man could often lean. He expressed his sorrow in every direction, as his letters at this time proved, and his way was gradually becoming lonely, for his dearest friends were dying, as for instance Spoltane and the departure of another, his beloved Myconus, who had once before been snatched from the bonds of death by the faith and prayer of Luther, was also near at hand. Myconus was suffering with bronchitis, and it was evident that he would soon rest from his labours. It was at this time that Melanchthon addressed two letters to him, which we present an account of their consolatory contents. On the 1st of March, 1546, he wrote, I most earnestly wish that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, might again restore your bodily strength, so that you might serve the church longer, and superintend the studies of your sons. If God, my Frederick, has resolved to call you away, oh, then consider into what an assembly you shall be admitted, to God and his Son given for us, to the patriarchs, prophets and apostles. You will see and converse with those who shall proclaim the glory of God to you without deceitful arts. I seek their intercourse with such ardent desire, that I am often sorrowful, that I am obliged to sojourn longer in this earthly prison, especially as I am constantly contending with great sufferings and dangers. Rather would I be torn in pieces than unite with those deceivers who are at present endeavouring to consummate false unions yet you know that I am constantly called to attend these artful proceedings. Therefore I beseech you to commend the church and me to God. And on March 4th he wrote, Dearest Frederick, the gracious word of the Son of God has frequently comforted me in great afflictions. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We will not seek any other explanation of the sheep than that given us by Christ who calls those his sheep who hear and love the gospel. We are such without doubt. Therefore, in all the dangers of this life and of death, we should entertain the confiding assurance that the watchman and defender, our shepherd, the Son of God, is with us always. Since Luther has been called away from this mortal state of existence, I have, besides my sorrow, additional cares and labours. On the 7th of April, Myconus died, to the great sorrow of Melanchthon, who thus expresses it in a letter to Jonas. Frederick Myconus, after contending with his disease for a long time, has at last been called away from this mortal life. You see that the righteous are gathered in, that they may not behold the approaching calamities, which may God lessen as we pray. These calamities were nearer at hand than he thought. End of chapter 24